bullshit, it's all just um gay politics. America's gotten kind of whack, but we're not gonna let it go down like that, cause we got a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. We probably don't have all the facts, but we got opinions and we'll probably backtrack. That's why it's a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. Ooh, it's all shit, it's all shit. It's all shit. It's all shit. I mean, are we gonna die? I don't know. I, I, you're extreme. I am extreme. It's all shit. Uh uh. This shit is bananas. B A A A A A S. This shit is Trumpanas. T R U M P A N A N A S. What? I don't know. I don't even know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dumb Gay Pandemic Politics. I'm Julie. And I'm Brandy. And this is the podcast where we talk about the week in coronavirus politics, like we're talking about reality TV. And hopefully everyone had a wonderful and COVID-free, COVID-free Fourth of July. (laughs) I spent the day sweating my ass off and moving out of my house and into Julie's because I Airbnb'd my house for the month of July. Gotta make that money, honey. Oh, yes, that's right. Listen, anything we can do. All I gotta say is thank God for our Patreon podcast, okay? Or we would literally be out on the street right now. Um, Thank you to all the listeners who have joined and stayed with us, even right now when money is tight for so many people. If you're interested in helping us survive and enjoying a non-political podcast while you're at it, just go to (laughs) patreon.com slash dumbgaypolitics. We do two Patreon podcasts a week, and they are both one hour. We've been delivering them real late <laughs> in the week this month because yeah. we can't stop trying to solve the mysteries <laughs> in Unsolved Mysteries. And then that ends up being all we talk about on the Patreon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where Xavier is. I don't fucking know, but it's driving me insane. OK, but more insane, that goddamn letter that Ray wrote and left or maybe the wife wrote, wrote and left. I don't know. Watch Unsolved Mysteries. We are preparing for this podcast it's quite a lot of work even though i know it doesn't seem like it and julie mm. will find a way can we but can we fit in an unsolved mysteries real quick i'm like mm, those are an hour i don't think we're gonna have time and i can tell you that from yesterday to today we have watched two of them without having the time i uh, well i i have to fit them in <laughs> i mean and there's so much to, that we have to watch i mean just even in not preparing for this podcast there's big brother to watch there's you know oh i was gonna say i'm sure even though people are like they can stop talking about mysteries and treasures now wait until we're talking about big brother they're all gonna be like we need to go back to the treasure hunting because big brother is coming back Mm -hmm. it is an all-star season Mm -hmm. evil dick did tweet Oh. He did drop a trail. I mean, he didn't say it outright, but. But we're treasure hunters now, so we figured it exactly. out. Exactly. So when you put the map on there and you put the bag with your name <laughs> on it, I know that that bag is that Big Brother gives it to you and you're going to go in the house. It's a fanny pack uh. that says Big Brother. And then he put a name tag next to it that's a dick. And Come then on. he said his Dick at Night web series is going to be pre-taped episodes for the next couple months and we were like booyah don't have to be an unsolved mysteries professional to know what that means also if you are a big brother fan and you're new here we did interview evil dick yeah we talked about politics Mm. we have to on this it's the law but it's evil dick it's his voice he was smoking Oh, he was, and uh, he apparently has quit smoking since t- since then. He's really, uh, you know, getting it together. I mean, we 
live. live. Like it wouldn't matter if I don't even know what circumstances. Wild horses couldn't keep us away, man. Now, nope. Can't wait. Don't know when it's going to start. Probably it's sometime in August. And if once it starts and I have the live feeds back in my life, (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen to this podcast. (laughs) Well, um, I don't know either, but I know that there's only one more unsolved mystery to go and I'm already starting to have anxiety about what I'm going to do. Oh, right. Earlier today, she was like, wait, there's only six. And I'm like, yeah. I know. That's why we should. We, are we savoring them? It's like sweet and sweet and sour. I don't. I don't. I. We still have. Well, we still have. Um, Golden State more. Killer. Too. Oh, that's true. These unsolved mysteries, though, are. Oh, fucking! I'm getting my. I just. <laughs> and it's the UFO shit, and it's the paranormal. I just. I don't know. It's. It's sparking something in me. It is. It's the. The something happened with the treasure hunting. Something happened with the secret. Something happened with this. Something is then awakening read, in me. I told you all about the energy vortexes. Oh my god, the energy vortexes. Ugh. So we're gonna go hit. You know, maybe Sedona. Try to get some energy vortex business right. going on. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna when we're done with unsolved mysteries. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. I mean. It's not the coolest, but Expedition Unknown does get the job done. Okay. <laughs> it's certainly not the okay. coolest. <laughs> we recommend season five, episode four the of, Secret. E- of Expedition Unknown. It's called The Secret. Mm-hmm. And it's about this weird book from the 80s mm-hmm. where a guy buried 10 treasures across America. Mm-hmm. They're all supposedly their keys. And you find the key and they're all supposedly still there. Oh, three have been found. Yes. So the expedition unknowns and there's a couple follow up episodes, but that first one really, you know, it, it it lays everything out for you. It lays it out. I'm I haven't bought the book yet, but I'm um, because I'm waiting. What are you waiting for for us to get three dollars and fifty cents? Well, yeah, you know, and I don't want to. I know that once it's here, it's going to be like I got to blow up this one. I got to get a magnifying glass. We're going <laughs> to look through it. We're going to figure it out. And I just can't. It's a series of ten pictures, and then poems that go with each picture and each picture represents a city and i will say and i mean i don't want to humble brag but of course i i will never not we were it was the middle of the night i'm sure we were high as a two dollar bill because it was like we i was agreed to watch this dumb thing and they show one picture from far away they kind of they were like, oh, this is the one from Boston and this is the one. From, right. And this right. is California. And right. no, 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 no. Right. And one picture from far away. I go, oh, I think that's Florida. And, and then I was like, what? And then I walk up to it and sh- to the TV and I sh- show Julia on the screen. I'm like, I think this part of the picture is supposed to be Florida. And then it was. And I was just like, I I went and tried to find a mic somewhere. I, I went and came, got a podcast mic. And then I walked in and dropped it. because Oh, like, I went and bought it. you a fedora and a, a goddamn whip and a gun and a. <laughs> brown shirt and pants and said all right indiana jones let's go brandiana jones yeah brandiana (laughs) jones i mean full up brandiana jones oh i think that's florida like who could know that who could see that i screamed from far away blurred vision (laughs) middle of the night i mean come on the shit is so goddamn compelling and i just can't it's very addicting and it could be something that could be good clean fun for all of us right if we all want to resurrect and i mean they're they're on it on reddit i'm sure but we didn't even take it to reddit yet because we can't even deal with the reddit trolls quite yet well plus i know that there's places that they already have figured out there's places that have been like built over you know like if i can't go to the place where i think it is and dig 
one foot into the ground and find the stupid key because a building was built on top of it with new condominiums and a well you use that stick let's not forget <laughs> oh, right. it's a long stick that goes in the right, ground right. and you go did i hit something there right so so you don't have to destroy prop the it's just annoying that you can't like like call like the wife and be like look i know that it's under the new building you i don't know i mean, know. I, mean I don't really sitting. know i don't really know i'm not but gonna believe anyway. that there's any buildings yet but okay. we're we're waiting for some reason because we know we've got Big Brother. Yep. And we've got other dumb things on Expedis- Expedition <laughs> Unknown. Oh, Expedition Unknown. I mean, that guy's got the job of, the, of a lifetime. Well, let's not even try and pump him up or support him. <laughs> now it's time for the shitty week in Corona. Guess what, bitch? <laughs> Coronavirus! Coronavirus! Shit is real! Shit is getting real! Shit is real! Shitty Week in Corona featured soaring numbers of reported COVID cases nationwide and absolutely the most, bar none, undisputedly, unequivocally, unarguably, and literally the weirdest 4th of <laughs> July that America has ever fake celebrated. Don't get me started on the 4th of July in general. It's always been a smug holiday born of half-truths so that Americans could aggrandize themselves in their bullshit white narrative of history. But now, (laughs) during coronavirus, with the worst president in the history of history, holding an event at Mount Rushmore, (laughs) this 4th of July was truly fagging bizarre. It really, really was. But despite the inebriated atmosphere of corona fear and mask hostility and change apathy Mm. that the mainstream media fuels every day with their white corporate ratings agenda (laughs) america's unsung social justice heroes showed up for change again so even though you didn't see much if any of it on the news on july 4th the black lives matter protest marches did happen all over the country, in every major city, and lots of small ones, too. And listen, there's too many to list, but it was basically every city and lots of little towns. And you want to know if your city had one? Google 4th of July protest march in, I don't know, Tallahassee. Yep, turns out, sweetie, Tallahassee had one. According to Google, about 100 protesters (laughs) marched from Cascades Park to the historic Capitol as they promote racial equality, chant, and hold signs on Saturday, July 4th. A hundred motherfuckers in Tallahassee got out and you know it was hot. Mm, Oh, my God. Got out on July 4th to do a Black Lives Matter protest march like that is what I'm talking about for real. I want to kill the news right now. I don't want (laughs) to have to be trolling around on Twitter or any social media to hear and see these marches. I hate social media. It's toxic and actually takes us backwards and Mm -hmm. it still has a white corporate bullshit ratings agenda i want this shit on the news i want it in everyone's eyeballs so that everyone sees it and doesn't forget about it and and then just pretend it's not there when it's still there 
We say it every week on the podcast now, and we will continue to say it every week until change happens. We are so grateful for and thankful to all the people in all the different cities who show up again and again to march against racial and social inequality. Since George Floyd, over 114 Confederate statues have been taken down. Countless police officers and the cities who employ them have been put on notice. And many police departments and city councils have agreed to restructure not just their funding, but their entire bureaucracy as well. Progress is slow and the work is tedious and oftentimes it's thankless. But whether people believe in Black Lives Matter or not, these marches and this movement are giving every single person in America an intangible and subconscious feeling of hope. Knowing that people are out there uniting in activism, again, even if you're someone who's against them, it's psychologically empowering. And that empowerment is what's keeping us all alive right now. Mm -hmm. And shame on CNN and MSNBC and Fox and the New York Times and the Washington Post and all of the lamestream media <laughs> for not making these protest marches more important than Trump's slurred, segregating speech at Mount Rushmore on the 4th of July. Oh, my God. Don't. I, you know what? <laughs> now you've got it started. You open. Now it's I can't. Now it has to happen. That fucking motherfucker. President Yeti decided to give his speech at Mount Rushmore specifically in retaliation to the Black Lives Matter movement who have inspired people to tear down Confederate statues of men who fought to keep slavery intact. This isn't about your fucking Southern pride. It's not. It's not even about that. It's about fucking slavery, you dumb fucks. <laughs> in addition to Theodore Roosevelt, who in a statue is sitting mighty on top of a horse while a Native American and a black man are subserviently behind him. Then all tan goggles couldn't stand it when the Native American people let it be known that Mount Rushmore is probably one of the biggest slaps in the face in this country, as it is in the Black Hills, which was not only their sacred land, it was designated to them in the Treaty of 1886, but then renamed for a white man who loved to go hunting and fishing there and decided the mountain should be named after him. I guess they used his last name instead of the name we all know him by, so the mountain should be called Mount Tiny Dick. Then the white man heard there was gold in them Nar Hills and went and killed the Sioux Nation in the famous massacre at Wounded Knee and took back the Black Hills for themselves. Oh, men. Happy July 4th. If it was called Mount Tiny Dick, I bet a lot less people would be mad. <laughs> I bet a lot le less people would. <laughs> Mount Rushmore also depicts two out of four presidents who owned slaves. And did, here's a fun fact. The sculptor was a KKK member. And of course, KKK Trump needed to go to what he feels is his sacred white massacre land and give his outrageously bizarre, unhinged, drugged up white power speech with all his KKK friends. And now that's going too far. They're not actually in the <laughs> KKK. Oh, aren't they? Aren't they? Trump spends 45 minutes blathering and squinting so hard to read his lines that America's number one swamp garbage creature from hell, Stephen Miller, probably wrote for him, which exalts America and all the statues and makes sure that all the tiny dicks and all the cum dumpsters listen up and take heed because he is their president and this is their country. <laughs> No movement that seeks to dismantle these treasured American legacies can possibly have a love of America no. at its heart. Can't happen. Mm. No person who remains quiet at the destruction of this resplendent heritage can possibly lead us to a better future. Mm. 
the radical ideology attacking our country advances under the banner of social justice. But in truth, it would demolish both justice and society. Uh -huh. It would transform justice into an instrument of division and vengeance, and it would turn our free and inclusive society into a place of repression, <laughs> domination, and exclusion. Exclusion. <laughs> they want to silence us, but we will not be silenced. What cocktail? What kind of? What <laughs> cocktail of methamphetamine is the man on? I mean, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking... Oh, the progressive movement? That's demolishing justice in society? Get a hold of yourself, white KKK. Get a fucking hold of yourself, you lying, pandering, skank taint. The level of lying and gaslighting full frontal unabashed glee in celebrating white power and pretending that evolution and progression is bad is astounding. And it's like watching a tiny dick festival act like their dicks are huge and made out of ice cream. <laughs> All the tiny dicks are erect this week. And two of the tiniest ones needed to let us know they thought this speech could be one of modern president's best speeches ever okay Tucker, uh -huh, oh my god literally tucker carlson is such a fucking piece of shit i would rather sit and watch trump lick his dry mouth like a weird man lizard than look at tucker carlson who's an actual living walking foreskin if you want to know where all the foreskin has gone in the world since god made the covenant with abraham to cut the dick tips off all men it's tucker foreskin carlson he loves trump because trump is the dick his foreskin wants to rewrap itself around Oh, Tucker, you're so confused. You're just asking questions. You don't get it. You don't understand why people don't like this. You don't understand why they're mad at President Adderall Drymouth because he's standing in front of a fucking mountain which symbolizes the massacre of innocent Native people and aggrandizes white men and their ability to dominate. He's definitely took something over the Adderall to make himself like a little calmer. <laughs> You, you know what? You're right. You know, there's definitely a volume maybe yeah, and an Adderall because the slurring is. He took a couple Adderall. He got a little too cracky, crackalackin'. Yes. Then he was like, what am I going to do? Melania busted out some volume oh, out of her. Some of her and volume now, when she has to hand. Yeah. Now mm -hmm. he's slurring. You know what? You're absolutely right. Well, I think Tucker Carlson is getting paid by the Trump administration because there abs there's absolutely no way anyone with half a brain would be saying this shit with like a, with a straight face. The other tiny dick. TD number two is Newt Gingrich. This sack of fucking garbage literally went on Fox News and said this. President Donald Trump's speech at Mount Rushmore may be the most important and historic speech of his career. If he continues to echo and reinforce the message of this profound speech, he will become as essential to the preservation of freedom in America for the 21st century as President Abraham Lincoln was in the 19th century and President Ronald Reagan was in the 20th century. I cannot fucking deal with their fucking bullshit about freedom it is absolutely unbelievable get the fuck out of my face Newt Gingrich <laughs> you fucking evil bridge troll leprechaun you and Trump and Tucker Carlson and Stephen Miller are also fucking scared because you know your number has been pulled and the majority is done with your shit Trump isn't preserving freedom he's preserving white power and more than anything else he's self-preserving and is scrambling around like a cockroach hissing and shredding all the evidence so he doesn't goddamn go to jail when his ass gets voted out of office the speech was so absolutely fucking disgusting 
disgusting. And all of these white Republican assholes who are still standing by Trump and the GOP are all going to get put in the garbage disposal where they belong. There isn't one Republican who can say that they're still a Republican and stands with the Republican Party who has one shred of integrity left. Megan McCain. You want to know when the reckoning is? It's right fucking now. Your tiny dicked God is disgusting. Mount Rushmore is disgusting. The Confederate statues need to go. And Trump is nothing but a petulant, hateful, selfish, deluded goblin who wants to live in a cave with his gold and 76,000 virgins. Fuck Trump. Fuck Republicans. Fuck the GOP. And fuck the Confederacy. Now it's time to get up close and personal with someone who is running for office in our segment called Candid Candidates. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Look how I'm living now. Police be tripping up. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. My area. I got the strap. I gotta carry them. This is the part of the show where we get candid with a candidate who is running for office in an upcoming election. We recently got candid with Charles Booker, and we thought there wasn't a candidate alive that was a better fit for this segment, but we were wrong. Why? Because Charles Booker isn't gay! (laughs) That's right. If you are one of our regular 14 listeners, then you heard us tell you last week how much we love our guest today. We literally watched his campaign video (laughs) one time and became obsessed with him, and even though we've only known about him for one week, our love for him is real and deep, and we are definitely going to marry him and have a thousand of his babies. That's true. And we don't just love him because he's hot and gay. We love him because he's everything. He's smart and accomplished and generous and kind and not disgusting and gross. He's running for Congress to represent New York's 17th district. But he's such a perfect candidate, we wish he could clone himself and run in every district in every state and be every member of Congress. Seriously, he's that incredible. His resume is a mile long, and after reading it, I genuinely don't believe that there's another candidate out there more qualified to speak to the epidemic of institutional racism in America, which is finally being seen for what it always was, a national fucking emergency. Literally. In high school, he led an NAACP youth council to register and mobilize voters in his underserved community so his public school didn't lose its funding. At Stanford, he organized a group of students to speak out against racial profiling in the Palo Alto Police Department. While he served in the Obama administration, he researched and co-authored a report for the attorney general on how to help prisoners rejoin society once they are released from prison and how to provide opportunities and reduce the chances that they will end up back in prison. Then... While he was at Harvard Law School, he represented defendants who had been charged with crimes but couldn't afford lawyers. After he graduated, he was literally given an award by the Legal Aid Society for doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and millions of hours of free legal work for victims of discrimination and victims of mortgage modification fraud. He did that for free, as in he didn't get paid. As if that's not enough, he then co-founded a nonprofit organization called Rising Leaders, Inc., which teaches leadership skills to underserved middle school students in three cities. I I I can't. (laughs) I know we can't even deal with how fucking awesome this guy is. I'm so jealous that New York's 17th district gets to have him and not us. I know. I know. Me too. Well, he hasn't technically won yet. 
because they still have some mail-in ballots to count, but he spanked the other six candidates so hard that there's no way any of them can catch up to him. And he still has to win in November, but that's pretty much a done deal, too. So without further ado, we're so honored to have the opportunity to get candid with the man who will make history as the first openly gay black <laughs> candidate ever to be elected to the United States Congress, Mr. Mondaire Jones. That that was so incredible. I mean, you put everyone else who has introduced me over the course of this campaign into shame. Uh, and, and you even called me hot, which is awesome, too. Thank you. I, you know, it's been a while since I've seriously dated anyone. So thanks for oh. boosting my self-esteem. Oh, well, hot, please. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Okay, so let's start out. Your campaign video is one of the most moving things I've ever seen. We were we were honestly moved to tears. Mm -hmm. I had to leave the room and cry in a corner <laughs> and we loved it so much. We played it last week. It speaks perfectly to the racial reckoning that's happening in America right now. So perfectly, in fact, that it seems like you just made it. <laughs> At one point, you literally say every day we wake up and it feels like the world is on fire. But the crazy thing is you didn't just make it. It's from last year. It's from November. Right. And that was before the son of a billionaire joined this race and spent five million dollars to try to purchase a congressional seat. And, and there was me being recorded back in November saying mm -hmm. we don't need more millionaires in Congress. <laughs> so it was just perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> were you the front runner before George Floyd or did, was it something where you flew out in front? You know, you know, I, I appreciate the question because there is this condescending narrative uh, that the reason we won or, or at least a huge boost to us was what was happening with George Floyd. But here's the thing. Even before the murder of George Floyd, there we were in a dead heat, a statistical dead heat with three other candidates. Mm. And that was at a time when we had not been on air with our first TV ad for more than a day. Mm. So we were well on our way to surge in the polls anyway. Now, I mean, as I've said, uh, is it the case that like there were a lot of white people who came to the conclusion that they need, that we need more people like Mondaire Jones in Congress to speak from their lived experiences and with moral clarity about racial injustice in this country? I suspect there were. Um, maybe those people would have voted for me anyway, but I'm, we, get, we got a boost from it, but we would have won this thing anyway. You don't win with like right. what now looks to be 45% of the vote, if not more. I was I was overseeing some counting of absentee ballots today, and there's a real chance that we're going to grow the lead that we have, which was already at 45%, uh, more than twice the second closest finishers uh, percentage. So you don't, you don't do that well uh, just because of, um, you know, what's been going on with Black Lives Matter. When you win in November, what is the first thing you think Congress should do that would move the needle immediately? I, I think that we have to pass H.R. 1. Um, it's, it's a House Resolution 1. It's a democracy reform package uh, that seeks to get money out of politics and to end partisan gerrymandering, which is a huge obstacle uh, for the change that we're seeing right now. So uh, House Resolution 1 was passed in, I think, March, actually, of 2019. Uh, and so, and but of course, it went to die in the Senate, like all good pieces of legislation do under the reign of Mitch McConnell in that chamber. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the features of, of, of H.R. 1 include, uh, again, independent commissions to, to do the, um, to draw congressional districts. Uh, it includes a system of public financing so that we have more people in Congress who actually know what it's like to struggle in this broken economy that does not work for the vast majority of Americans, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it, would, um, it would also do automatic voter registration, 
which I'm a huge right. proponent of. We have to expand the franchise to win the kind of progress that we need in this country, whether it's policing reforms or Medicare for all, which I'm a proponent of and, in fact, was the only proponent of in my crowded Democratic primary, uh, wow. even though my member of Congress also supports it. Right. I mean, we just got to get better Democrats in office. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud to be part of that movement. That HRN one. Right. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't even make the, the day voting day like a national holiday. Uh, we, we are a better democracy when we make it easier for people to vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does look like H.R. 1 did include a, a provision to make Election Day a federal holiday. Did that also include, you know, campaign finance reform? Or is that not in that that giant? It is in there. It's, oh, good. A, 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 well, you know, a, a system of public financing okay. uh, is, is, is one feature of that. We have to overturn Citizens United. We need a constitutional yes. amendment to do that. Yep. Uh, and, you know, while we're amending the Constitution, I think we need to limit the amount that people can spend uh, to to again buy essentially buy a congressional seat. The New York Times came out with a, a headline just days before my primary election on June 23rd, uh, asking the question explicitly: Can the son of a billionaire spend his way to a New York House seat? I mean, again, five million dollars is extraordinary in a Democratic primary. I was outspent approximately four to one, and thankfully we still defeated him. But it, it's it's hard to compete with that. And, yeah. and and you can imagine that his policy views were not, uh, <laughs> you know, they yeah. were not they were not in the best interest of the American people. I'll yeah, say that. Right. right. There's just got to be some kind of roadblocks in place so that our democracy isn't for sale. I was I was running against two state legislators who were running on their records, but had not co-sponsored the repeal of 50A, uh, which is legislation that thankfully passed. Uh, recently. It was introduced, however, in January of 2019. Uh, And what 50A does is it shields the disciplinary records of law enforcement officers Mm. from from public consumption. You have to get a court order to get that. And so, you know, I'm like, you've been in office for a year and a half now. Why does it take the murder of George Floyd and national unrest to get you to do the right thing? So I just we, we need better leadership, again, in a, in a Democratic primary. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm so excited to be bringing that energy to Washington and, and the kind of representation that my district finally deserves. Yeah. So tell us about your district. We know it's uh, in the top 20 wealthiest congressional districts in America, which is kind of cool and also kind of <laughs> gross, you know. So I, I describe my district as a tale of two cities. Uh, the average household income is approximately $100,000. But as the New York Times said in its endorsement of my campaign a few weeks ago, uh, <laughs> there are pocket there are pockets of deep poverty like where I grew up in the village of Spring Valley. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it is a, you know, it's not as racially diverse maybe as some other parts of, of this country, including in Brooklyn. Uh, but, you know, you've got you've got 20, approximately 20 percent Latinx, uh, 12 percent black. Um, you know, and and so and, and 60% non-Hispanic white, uh, and about 8% about about 8% or so Asian Pacific Islander, and and so there there is racial diversity in this district, and we are also no stranger to ice raids all throughout our district. We are familiar with the devastating effects of climate change, especially in our river towns, which flood whenever it rains. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people in my in my congressional district, 
um, 200,000 households are defined as housing burdened, meaning they pay more than 30% of their monthly income towards rent or mortgage. And, and we've really got to fix that. Um, you know, I grew up in Section 8 housing, so this is personal for me. The Section 8 housing waiting list is obscenely long mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, we have we have underinvested severely as a federal government in making housing affordable for everyone and accessible to everyone. Isn't there a way that we can get, like, the white corporate greed whores like Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos to pay for that? <laughs> We have to make sure that the super rich in our society pay their fair share. We have crazy things going right on going on right now in the tax code, right? And not least of which is this arbitrary distinction in the law between capital gains, so-called capital gains, and ordinary income. And, and so we, we have to make sure that we are asking people to pay their fair share. We're not going to get out of this economic devastation that we're currently experiencing. Uh, if we ask middle class people to pay more, we, we middle class and lower income people can't afford to pay more taxes, right? It's 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 the people who have money to uh, throw one billion dollars at a presidential in, in, in a presidential race over the course of one month, right? So Michael Bloomberg, who need to start paying their fair share. I was horrified by Tom Steyer. I feel like you know <laughs> I, I am. I don't understand why you'd spend millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars when you could go and help actual people you could end poverty in in parts of this country and and really throughout this country if 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 you taxed people at that level of income just a little bit more you know i'll I'll go back to the fact that one of my opponents spent five million dollars in this race even as he located his his campaign headquarters in in a city called peekskill which is a majority minority district excuse me a majority minority municipality um, you know, they, they, they have not built because in part because of the fair fault amendment, they have not built more than about 50 units, I think, since the year 2010 and affordable housing. There's, there is, there is, it's a beautiful place and I love being there. It feels like home, uh, frankly, uh, but it is also a place with, 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 with deep poverty. And, and the whole time I thought to myself, dude, you could have spent this $5 million to actually improve the lives of people, build affordable units, um, you, you know, provide services that people are, are, are struggling to receive. Uh, you could have, hell, you could have donated it to the government there. And, and, and instead, what he does is he blows it on all these mailers and, 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 and television ads that aren't resonating with people, thankfully. Uh, and, and it's just, it's grotesque. It's disgusting. Uh, yeah, it's gross. It's just Okay, so speaking of that, particularly Martin Luther King's idea of universal basic income, is that something <laughs> that, that you believe in? So, you know, I, I think UBI is a great effort. I, I support it right now in, in, in the sense that we need to be giving immediate cash assistance to families, uh, including families in my district, where it is a slap in the face to just give people a one-time $1,200 check uh, if they make under seventy-five thousand, I mean, it's just it's 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 such a slap in the face, and uh, and it is like severely inadequate, I think, to meet the moment. And so I've been really disappointed to see what Congress did did and did not do with that. Um, but but you know, UBI is no substitute for the kinds of structural changes that we need in our society and this economy in particular. Uh, the reason people need UBI is because healthcare is so expensive, and 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 the reason people need UBI is because housing is unaffordable is unaffordable uh you know they need ubi maybe because they 
don't want to send their kid to a terrible public school in the district. And so are trying to figure out how to send their kid to a, you know, something yeah. like a private school or something like that. So let's, let's focus on the, the structural changes that we need in our, in our society and, and including in this economy and our healthcare system. Uh, that's what I advocate. I think that's more efficient and more effective than giving, um, than giving people a check. Okay. That's, yeah. Okay, we're going to check that off. Yeah, we put that in the old, guess we're going to change our opinion okay. on that. Okay, so <laughs> is there any reality where you don't win in November? No. Okay, good. Obviously, you've been in, in activism since high school. Did you know then you wanted to run for office? You have a secret dream you wanted to be president? Were you one of those people? I never imagined that someone like me could run for Congress or any other significant elected office as an openly gay candidate. And so I just never seriously considered it until, you know, until maybe the past five years. And I certainly didn't think I'd be running for Congress at the age of 32 years old. Now I'm 33. I've aged a year. Jesus' uh, age. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I almost, when I turned it, when I turned, uh, when I turned 33 on May 18th, I almost posted something on social media like, oh, this is my Jesus year. But, <laughs> I felt like that would have um, that would not have been well received. So, <laughs> well, we would have loved it. I know. Yeah, thank you, thank you for seeing the vision. And I certainly didn't think I'd be running against the chair of the powerful House Appropriations Committee. Yeah. Uh, you know, my member of Congress re- re- announced her retirement. Uh, you know, three months after I announced my primary challenge on on Monday, July eighth, and so uh, that's when this became an open seat. Yeah. Um, you know, otherwise I. W- you know, would have would have would have been like Jamal Bowman running as an incumbent, you know, on, on June 23rd. And so I want to ask you if anyone in your circles or whatever, like when you're going into politics, I know there's like teams of people and you get advisors and blah, 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 blah. did anyone tell you that you should stay in the closet? Mm. Sure, he was already out. No, no, yeah, no one, no, no one who was in my inner circle. I mean, there was there was someone who uh, withdrew his endorsement from me and we hadn't publicized <sighs> anyway. Uh, and he said, and he said, I didn't know you were running as an openly gay candidate. And of course, I told him I was disappointed in him. Uh, and now he looks so stupid because the candidate he supported came and is like in or third or fourth place right now. Um, <laughs> currently third place. I just it's it's so beautiful to be able to walk around this district as like that dude and for people to just have to. <laughs> and for people to just have to eat all the BS that they tried to throw at me mm-hmm. and the low expectations, you know, if it, if it wasn't if it wasn't running as a gay candidate, it was it was, you know, and, and, and many of them would never admit this. The reason they had low expectations because I'm black. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I was out, out I was outperforming my opponents when it comes to fundraising, like traditional metric, metrics of campaigning for Congress. When it came to fundraising, I had, I had an organi- a volunteer organization that was unlike any of the other candidates. No, no other candidate came close to the energy that was on the ground for this campaign. I had been endorsed by three former presidential candidates, Elizabeth Warren, Julian Castro, and Bernie Sanders, and then AOC. Uh, and, and, and people were still like, well, I don't really think he can do it. And this is like the political establishment, mostly in Westchester. Um, but, you know, which is not not the pain with too broad of a brush, because there are a lot of people who were who have been involved in politics who were supportive of me. But like there were there were a lot of people who just doubted that someone like me could be successful. And what did we do? We did. De- we defeated the son of a billionaire. We defeated a senior Defense Department official under Obama, uh, a popular state assembly member, a well-known state senator. And the list goes on and on. When did you come out like officially? I was 24 years old when I told my family and my friends. 
So when you and, were at, when you um, were at Stanford, you hadn't no, yet. You did you? Right. You knew yourself. I de- I definitely knew that I liked dudes, but but by senior year, by senior year, I knew that I was only attracted to 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 men and. Um, and so, you know, it still took like another year or two. What was your feeling when you're like, had fa- finally faced, okay, this, this is full gay. Yeah, this is it. I'm going all I gay, can't. closing the door, yeah. ladies. I, I grew up in the Baptist church mm-hmm. and have, I'm what, I'm 33 years old now. So I've spent most of my life still thinking that, uh, that if I, you know, uh, if, if I ended up being gay or, or acting out on that, uh, that, that I would be going to hell, right? Which I don't believe uh, anymore. And, and and so it was. It it has been really difficult. And and I feel for uh, people in my situation who grew up like how how I grew up. Thankfully, my family is very supportive. Um, and I, you know, I joke. I cried more than my mom did when I came out to her. I mean, obviously, my, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a family that's that's very loving. But but for too many for too many kids growing up today, still. You know, their family will disown them if they were to ever reveal that about themselves to their family members. And okay. and, um, you know, but also much has yeah, that 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 explains, by the way, the disproportionate experience of homelessness among LGBTQ youth, which is even uh, which is e- even more um, disproportionate when you compound that with race. Right. So LGBTQ youth of color are even more likely to experience homelessness. But I've also been really pleased with the progress that we have made in this country. Um, I get over the course of this campaign, I've gotten so many messages from young queer people of color uh, or just young queer people who have reached out and told me that they have, they're inspired by me and that they've been working on my campaign uh, and, and that they've been, you know, they've been they've been coming out. And I'm just like, yo, I, I could never. Oh my God! You guys, I tell them all the time. You guys are so brave. You know, when I was in high school, I was so afraid that somebody might find out that I that I was gay. Again, like you said, it's just inspires people. It makes them feel free. It makes them feel they can do it. It makes them, even when you think about, for anyone of any anything, going someplace new, you're always like, oh, I have anxiety, and is anyone gonna like me? And blah, blah, blah. and then put on top of it, like I'm I'm gay or I'm I'm black. I'm I'm this. I'm a woman. Blah, blah, blah. And when you we see someone like you who has risen above all that to achieve this, it makes us feel more comfortable brave and safe to and brave <laughs> to even walk in a place maybe we wouldn't even walk in before, you know. And you know what? And you know what's been really cool also, it's that religious leaders, including you know in, in my own church, have been so supportive of me. Which right? is amazing. And, and so amazing. You just you 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 only change things by changing things. Yeah. <laughs> like you... Yes. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So before we let you go, for any realistic hope of legislative change, the Democrats have to win the majority in both the House and the Senate. What can we be doing between now and then to help make that happen? I think it's focusing on the Senate and also electing. Uh, Vice President Joe Biden to the presidency, uh, but the, but these Senate seats are so critical. Mm-hmm. All this, all the ambitious proposals that I've been talking about on the on the stump uh, cannot be enacted without without taking that gavel away from Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Uh, you know, we need to elect people like Sarah Gideon in Maine. Uh, we have to defeat Cory Gardner in in Colorado. 
you know, Raphael, Raphael Warnock and, and, and John Ossoff in, in Georgia. I mean, these are all winnable seats. Amy McGrath in Kentucky. Uh, you know, we, these are all winnable seats. I, I'm hearing Texas. Texas is really up, you know, for yeah. as Texas is in play. And so we have to we have to elect these people. I understand that some of these folks might not be entirely ideologically aligned with progressives. But, oh, my goodness, it, 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 we, we cannot afford more years of Republican obstructionism in no. the Senate. When you think about the moderate Democrats, um, that they're sort of turnable, so to speak, like that they're movable, that they can be pushed more left, that they can be pushed a little Absolutely. further. Absolutely. I think we're seeing it right now. Um, I, I think we're seeing I think we're seeing a number of, of so-called moderate senators move to the left as they see what is uh, the transformation occurring within this party. Um, you see senior members of the House uh, 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 aligning themselves with um, with people like AOC. And of course, uh, I think that we're going to have a Congress that's very supportive of uh, of President Biden. And so if he if, if he leverages the goodwill that people feel for him mm-hmm. uh, to push centrists in the Senate, then we can we can really make the kind of progress that so many of us want to see in this country. Is there anyone that you're going to fan out or are you not really like that? Listen, okay, so I'll tell you this story. I don't think I've I don't think I've said this. I don't think I've said this publicly. Shout out shout out to the podcast. So when AOC called me, she called me like 15 minutes after she was supposed to write. So I'm just sitting there in my seat like for 15 minutes just like thinking about the fact that AOC is going to call me and she's going to tell me that she is going to be endorsing my campaign or at least she's going to be vetting me, right? She's going to be having a conversation with me. And because she was late calling me, I just kept thinking about the over the 15 minutes, the fact that AOC was going to be calling me. And and, and, and she inspired me to run for Congress in the first place. Right. Uh, this this young person of color defying uh, the political establishment and being successful, defeating the most, you know, one of the most powerful members of the House of Representatives. And so by the time that she finally called me, I was sobbing. OK, I, I was just like, I, I was like, I am so sorry that I'm crying right now. This is not how I imagined having this conversation with you. But like, you are amazing. (laughs) You inspire me to run, you know, and she was so gracious. Um, And, um, but uh, I promise I will not, well, I don't have to promise this, but I will not be crying again. I got that out of my system. (laughs) Well, I know just for, we're not even running for anything, but when we saw you, I literally was like, okay. We've got another. We're, we're we might be okay. Yeah, just in general, you know what I yeah. mean. Like he, yeah, he's, he's. I just felt, the kids are all right. Yeah, the guy, yeah. yeah, for real. Like he's. We we're safe. We're safe. Yeah. We're safe. We truly, truly thank you so much for doing our dumb gay podcast. <laughs> Tell our fourteen listeners where they can find you, and they are going to fan out on you. <laughs> yes. Listen, go to mondaireforcongress.com. M O N D A I R E F O R Congress.com. Check me out. Make a contribution if you're able to. Uh, running for Congress is not cheap by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and unlike the people we're used to seeing in our politics, I don't come from money or from a political family. Follow me on social media, right? Mondaire Jones on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, it's Mondaire for Congress. And just and if you're able to, sign up to volunteer on our homepage because we've got to continue to build this uh, progressive movement. And um, and we are also already helping out with, in local races. Uh, we have to make sure that we elect progressives across the board, up and down the balance. 
Well, we hope you'll come back on um, after you're an official congressman and tell us which closeted white Republicans hit on you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was good. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We love you so much. Yeah, good luck with everything. I love you too. Now it's time for a moment with Melania. Well, we haven't heard much from our first lady during the coronavirus pandemic or, in fact, during the months of Black Lives Matter protest marches. But she showed up at Trump's disgusting Fourth of July Corona party working her usual kidnapped cyborg sex slave look. Of course, she didn't speak because she's not allowed to. But she did pop off a couple times last month, once on Father's Day when comedian John Henson tweeted a happy Father's Day to whoever Barron's real dad is. And again, last week, when the book called The Art of Her Deal came out and exposed all the secrets of Trump and Melania's prenup, And also a very juicy detail about how Ivanka wanted to rename the first lady's office to the office of the first family. Well, lucky for us, Melania is here in person to tell us exactly where she told Ivanka to shove her stupid fucking idea. Hi, Melania. Hello, Brandy. Hello, everyone. I am Melania Trump. (laughs) I told Ivanka that she should shove it up her disgusting cantwat. Did you have an attachment to the office? You know... This is very good question. The thing is that when you are first lady and you don't want to be, you end up saying like, I first, I don't want, I want Baron to have my husband's money. It's right. very, very <laughs> important for him to have his money. I have been working for 22. Do you know this? I want to give you fact now. Okay. Do you know how long I've been married to Donald? <laughs> I think you were about to say it, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Calculate calculate 22 years can you imagine what has happened to me can you even imagine what i have gone through so yeah when he became president i said i'm going to go ahead and go renegotiate that prenup and i'm going to make sure i get it all and baron (laughs) is going to be number one son because donald jr and eric vampire can suck it is that what it says in this book that just came out Yes, well, uh, the, uh, no, no, none of that is true. But if you were to stay, if you were to talk to the author, she would tell you that I negotiated for Baron to make sure that he got same amount of money as the top three uh, Trump children. Tiffany is not included. <laughs> and do you hate Ivanka? Yes. More than Don Jr. Oh, and Eric? No one in the world should be hated more than Don Jr., I want you to know that I think he is disgusting. And I get with Donald Trump Sr., okay? I get with <laughs> Donald Trump. not in a Tr- long time, we're quite No, sure. but I did it. I did it, okay? <laughs> and I had to do it more than once. And I did everything, okay? I did it all. So Don Jr. is... I th- I, 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 he is... Um, he's the kind of man who eats boogers. <laughs> now, he eats boogers. Why do you hate Ivanka? What was the story there? Just she just did she never give you the respect? Ivanka thinks she's Donald's wife. And I think that Donald thinks that maybe she his wife too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird. They have weird relations. I don't like to be around it. 
Ivanka also is curious mystery. She's curious mystery because she's she is uh, she pretends to be nice. Oh, I'm going to become Jewish. I'm going to have all these kids. She don't know her kid name. <laughs> She don't know her kid name. She's certainly not like the way you are with Baron. I am good mother. I love my son. I will I will come for you. Don't come for me. Don't come for Baron. Baron of limits. I know that he's tall. He looks like he's 20, but he's not his child. Okay, his child. Now, he speak, you know that he speak the my my Romanian language. Slova- he does? Or Slovenian language. Slovenian. Yeah, Slovenian language. <laughs> Fluent. Do you know why? Me. Well, because you barely speak any other language. Well, that's right. <laughs> I don't actually speak. It. I know. I, they say I speak five languages, but, you know, don't we all? You know what I mean? Don't <laughs> exactly. we all? You know, exactly. you could come up with a few <laughs> r- words from a different language. You know what I'm saying? So Ivanka tried to weasel her way into um, my role as first lady. She thinks she's first lady. She was going to take my office and make it office of first family like she's uh, the queen. She's like uh, the Queen Elizabeth. She's uh, Princess Diana. I'm like, you're not Princess Diana, bitch. You're not. You're not (laughs) nice. You don't help children. You don't step on landmines. You don't do nothing for no one. No. You you put children in sweatshops. Exactly. You are a disgusting pig. You are a horrible person. And she just needed to... She wants the Trump family to be like um, like the royals. That's what. That's why. Because she thinks she's wife, queen. I'm like, you are daughter. You are not even hired. And then she went and got herself salary. I don't even have no salary. Okay. She, yeah, she gets all paid a <clears throat> lot, supposedly. She gets paid a lot of money. And it's not fair. It's not fair. You know, she all be always be in competition with me because she know I'm more pretty, more tall, more better body, more better face, more better hair. Well, Ivanka does have good hair. What about Ivana? Ivana and I became very good friends. Mm. Now, at first, she don't like me because I took her husband. I get it. So then we start to talk, have lunch, read each other's books. <laughs> and <laughs> we become good friends. I go to Zandrobe. She comes oh, right. to my place in um, the uh, in Paris, Berlin, and Prague. <laughs> uh-huh. We meet up to play croquet. We do fashion. People don't know, but I am going to. It's going to be my time when this is done. When he leaves, when he gets fired and then arrested, <laughs> I am going to start fashion line with Ivana. Uh-huh. It's going to be called Milvana. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Wonderful. Imagine the te- just Milvana. Okay. Perfect. <clears throat> it's going to be fashion wearing for women over 40. He he don't know. He don't know. I am going to my empire, my empire is going to beat his empire. Oh, you like a red caftan to cover your body? Here is Milvania's caftan for you. Okay? It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be pants that are also dress. It's going to be cape that's also shirt. It's going to be dress and shirt. That's also cape. Yes. The cape moment for sure. Yes. I'm very excited. So keep your eyes open. I know this is exciting time. We are in challenging times. Also wear a mask. Very important to wear a mask. Um, I wear a mask. I poke holes in it. You know. Because I don't have that disease. <laughs> I don't ha- I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to have it. I'm Melania. I don't have it. 
Well, thank you for telling us about all of your endeavors. And oh. I really look forward to, I hope that Milvan, Milvana gets off the ground <laughs> by early next year because I, we all know he's going to be out of office in November. You're going to be f so free. Oh, so free. So it's free. Just, Countdown, baby. Countdown. Yeah, I look I look forward to coming back to tell you about all the things people can go ahead and find and watch. And, you know, this time I have to be in back corner. But as when he go away, it's going to be front corner. It's going to be my book. No one's writing book about me. I'm writing the book. I'm doing the show. I'm going to have the all of it. You want to know some secrets? I'll be telling you. Now it's time for So There's That. All right, so this is the part of the show where Julie has to find a so there's that moment that's happening because of or in spite of our piece of shit president, the diarrhea toilet Republicans, and the corona crazy culture war that they are all responsible for. She hates doing it, but right now we all need it. And this week, I in particular needed to hear an uplifting story called Fuck Facebook and the horse named Mark Zuckerberg that it rode in on. <laughs> so hit me with what I am sure is going to be one of my favorite so there's that of 2020 yeah yeah you know i don't know what happened this week okay i don't but it definitely got hard again and it seems fitting as we are utterly obsessed with unsolved mysteries expeditions unknown and treasure hunting that this july 4th was like a virtual fact-finding expedition except what we found when we dug through the earth what we overturned were a bunch of new white racist gun truffle pigs hunting feverishly for their white power which is systematically being stripped away and much like the pharaohs and emperors of old who buried themselves with all their worldly goods and full armies in their tombs many tombs burying horses and men and women alive because they were so scared of not just death but so scared that they would be powerless in the next world world how could an emperor a ruler of the world die and not just die not be able to take everything he owns including people and animals with him and when i see these videos of these white monsters holding guns pointing guns at black people or groups of diversity of people standing together and the gun truffle pig is yelling about not wearing a mask because of freedom and panting and wailing about trump that what we're witnessing is the pure fear and the absolute last bastion of a person watching their stranglehold on what has given them power they have survived they've thrived on it no one's called them out of the dirt and now that their time has come, they're trying to take down everyone around them. They wave their guns around and yell and scream and act like a victim. They're feverishly looking for something that will keep them propped up. And all they have is their guns. And just like the pharaohs and emperors and dictators and warlords and grand wizards such as, it is their utter disbelief in their own demise and stubborn hate and massive fucking egos that no matter how many guns you put in your tomb, you're dead, bitch! You're dead. You didn't get a rabies shot, and now you got to go. You're a rabid white monster, and we're done. And I like to think that's why everyone and their brother had to set up fireworks, because we're in the midst of a new social racial justice war, and it was just a physical expression of blowing shit up. Well, in the spirit of blowing shit up, some shit did get blown up, and it starts with an F, and it ends with an ace book. Speaking of overblown, stubborn, white male desperately clinging to all his power and his privilege ego, Mark Fuckerberg is being called to the floor and he's kicking and screaming and fighting against it and wants to take everything down with him. And I'm sorry, we're all just saying we're sick of your shit. And he also stole his power. Just like every man. Yep. 
every single one in history. So basically, Fuckerberg was called to the floor for enabling hate speech, hate groups, not monitoring or censoring hate people and hate groups soliciting violence and supporting and giving a platform to trolls, fake accounts, predators, and last but not least, fake news, false information, fraudulent ads, Russia meddling in the election, China stealing everyone's data, and of course, Facebook doing business with all of them and selling us all out and monetizing every piece of our existence on Facebook, not to mention absolutely being a place where false information gets spread widely and Facebook doesn't intervene at all because they believe in quote unquote free speech even if that speech let's say consists of I don't know hey guys let's all meet at 7pm at the pizza parlor shoot and rape everyone in it and then meet back at my house to jizz on the confederate flag but Mark Zuckerberg did you read that oh yeah it's cool it's free speech since the 2016 election Facebook hasn't been embroiled in controversy because of Trump's hateful and false ads I mean, Putin's false ads and trolling and Fuckerberg was more than happy to take his rubles in exchange. He also fully enjoys taking money from Breitbart News, who actively go and troll and put up fake ads and constantly tried to act like they weren't a front for white nationalistic breeding and stomping grounds. And yeah, I'm looking at you, Meghan McCain's husband. Why don't you try blocking me too, you conservative skank? Anyway... Since 2016, different organizations, people, news outlets have been trying to get Mark Zuckerberg to monitor the hate speech and groups and fake ads and fake news that go on Facebook, and he actively fights against it. However, he has slowly and ambiguously trotted out his CEOs and staff and given lame town halls and dumb lip service to everyone saying, yeah, we're going to monitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We're not going to let people like incite violence and stuff, guys. Don't worry about it. We're going to get a third party and they're going to like do the monitoring and stuff. And then we're going to be like, oh, that's not good. OK, no, no. Then we'll definitely like we'll 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 take care of that. Well, a few weeks ago, you may remember Donald Trump tweeted some dumb fake shit. And even the leader of Twitter, that guy, Jack Dorsey, couldn't take it anymore. And he started putting a caution sticker, if you will, saying the shit's a lie. Make sure to do some fact checking on this dumbass. And then the world looked to Mark Zuckerberg to do the same. And he wouldn't do it. And about two weeks ago, a group called Stop Hate for Profit put a call out for advertisers to boycott placing ads on Facebook, and the call was answered. The major companies are listening, and as of the month of July, very, very, very huge companies are not going to place ads with Facebook, and they are now losing out on $70 million in revenue just for one month. So Facebook makes $70 billion a year. In, in ads. Yeah, it was like 70 million. That's However, not 70 million is not that much, but because of Stop the Hate, it's estimated again that Facebook is not only $70 million, but that they're mobilizing these companies in a way for us, the, the consumer, if we know that Coca Cola is still advertising with Facebook, then we are now not only going to buy not buy coca-cola we're getting off facebook so it's a it's a slow burn but the burn's begun okay what's cool about this the these groups who are coming together in the coalition is that they have 10 specific demands that they want facebook to adhere to and for example one of the main goals is to force mark zuckerberg to address the effect that facebook has had on our society this is the thing about facebook is that it's not just place where gross ads are and gross people do gross groups it's literally changed the way our society works yep. so 
The coalition came up with 10 specific demands among them, installing a high-level executive with civil rights expertise, doing away with the fact-checking exemption for politician speech, and creating human points of contact for Facebook users experiencing identity-based harassment. Now, Facebook has already made some changes. It pledged $1.1 billion towards fighting racial justice. On June 26th, Facebook said it would label some controversial posts as newsworthy to let objectionable content from politicians stand. Because one of the major problems right now is that Russia is like putting on so many fake political ads and um, Trump could put a speech on or a, an ad that's been doctored or a video that's been doctored and Mark Zuckerberg won't say that it's a lie or that it's fake. Unlike Twitter, who took a video and was like, this shit's not real. So it's a start, but until Emperor Zuckerberg stops sucking his own dick juice, I think it's going to be a pretty big and long battle. However, I feel that the right side of the law and of history is on our side, and we don't have to be bound to Facebook. Luckily, we have a coalition building who are going to keep fighting to make Facebook accountable and safer. And we're on to you, Zuckerberg. Facebook, yeah. It's been a huge, incredible place for people to meet and show pictures of their fake vacations. And it's become something I'm sure not even Mark Zuckerberg imagined. And rather than be a visionary who is a man of the people, all he is is a man above the people who takes from the people. And at the end of the day, the biggest, most beautiful and impressive pyramids in the world are just tombs for dead men. So there's that. So that's it for this episode of Dumb Gay Pandemic Politics. Thank you guys for listening. We love you all so much. We're so grateful for all 14 of you, especially right now. We know we're very ranty and ravey. We're just raving on <laughs> in this in this post-holiday weekend. Mm -hmm. um, please consider joining our Patreon podcast if you haven't yet. It's $1 for one podcast a week. $2 for two podcasts a week. They're both an hour. They can definitely be hit or miss as far as content, <laughs> but there's no ads and no politics. It's just us pulling shit out of our asses and discussing it. You might find it soothing to listen to something with no structure or consistency, but if nothing else, you will be distracted from your own life thinking how annoying and insufferable <laughs> and tone deaf we are. Exactly. And right now it's important that we all spend part of every day plugged in and paying attention and contributing to fight for racial equality in whatever way that means for you. But it's also important to set aside a little time to disconnect and do something harmless and mindless. And there's nothing more mindless than our Patreon podcast. So if you want to try it out, just go to patreon.com slash dumbgaypolitics and scroll down to the episode from September 11th, which is unlocked and free for you to listen to. And as always, it's been real and it's been fun. But mostly it's been gay and it's been dumb. And Mondaire Jones. <sighs> How'd you do, I? See, you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little broad dime because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up. By the way I look Don't judge a book by its cover I'm not much of a man By the light of day But by night I'm one hell of a lover I'm just a sweet 
transvestite from transsexual Transylvania <laughs> Let me show you a rhyme and maybe play you a sign You look like you're both pretty groovy Or if you want something visual that's not too abysmal We could take in an old Steve Reeves movie I'm glad we caught you at home Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat wheel. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania <laughs> Why don't you stay for the night? Night Or maybe a bite Night I could show you my favorite obsession I've been making a man With blonde hair and a tan And he's good for relieving my Tension I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania Hey, hey, I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> But not the symptom. 